If you haven't had the opportunity to come on Wednesday, I would encourage you to come. Come to the Bible study. We have a great time down there, but the, the youth and kids that have been here have been unbelievable. Um, I think it was two Wednesdays ago, we had, I think it was 90 youth and kids. And this past Wednesday, we had 95 just kids, <laughs> not even youth. <laughs> we had a bunch of youth, too. Uh, but, and, and then, of course, I mean, Wednesday night, it was in Angela's class. Was it nine salvations in her class alone, including her own son? And it's just incredible to see what God is at work. And well, nine Wednesday, and then conversation continued on into Thursday, and we had number 10. So it was uh, incredible to see God's, God's hand at work. Um, today, we're going to be concluding our look at the life of Joseph, as we've been in his life for a, quite some time, and uh, I've been out for two weeks. Uh, but we're going to finish it today in Genesis chapter 45. You can turn there if you'd like. Uh, in your Bibles will be on the screens, or if you want to use one of the Bibles on the rack, we're going to be on page 38. You can go there on page 30. I came across something this morning. We were flipping through some music to listen to, and we came across uh, a group that I really, really enjoy. Uh, but they are um, before my time, but I really enjoy them. Uh, does anybody like the Beatles? Anybody? If you don't, I don't care. Uh, the Beatles just, obviously they didn't, but somebody in, for the Beatles just dropped a new album, uh, but it includes a lot of very interesting things. Uh, they, they took the masters, the original masters, and had a new sound man from today remix it. Then they had an original sound man mix it from 1969, uh, let the, the album Let It Be. But then they included what was so fascinating that I liked, that I listened to a few songs on it this morning, is they included some of their rehearsal tracks. And so you can hear them have conversations about trying to make the songs better. Uh, <laughs> there was one, um, I, I, I can't remember which one it was. It was Let It Be, it was. it was. They were, John and Paul were goofing around and George got frustrated with them uh, and was ready to go ahead and hit record because they were just playing around and he just wanted to get on with the deal. And it was just fun to listen to. But what's interesting is to, to listen to that and how the process was and how long it took them to come up with songs that are now classics, songs that transform the landscape of music from four dudes in a room. They had no idea when they stepped foot in that room what the end result would be or the long-lasting impact it would have. But that's the case with many things. Oftentimes we don't anticipate the journey. And we don't anticipate sometimes how long it will take and how arduous it will be, or at times maybe how frustrating it will be to get from one place to another. Uh, Katie and I, neither one of our families live nearby. Uh, Katie's family lives in Dallas. Uh, I have a sister who lives in Dallas, and, but my fam, the rest of my family lives in Houston. And when we travel, it takes about three and a half hours door to door to get from our house to her parents' house without any stops, which of course with kids you take stops. And then to get to my parents' house in Houston, it takes about Six and a half hours, no stops, which of course you take several. Uh, maybe, uh, I think, I mean, it's been several years, obviously with COVID, we hadn't been able to do much, head down that way, but it may, may take seven hours to get down there. Uh, back roads, well, there was one time we went to Houston, 
we were going to my parents around the early part of December. My dad's a music minister, and he puts on this big, huge Christmas production, and we were going down to see it one year. And um, we had no idea, heading out, what the trip was going to look like. We're anticipating a seven-hour trip with a couple of stops. Well, on the way, a huge rainstorm started, and it rained the entire way from here to Houston. Not only that, I don't know if you've ever driven from here to Houston. It's a lot of back roads. It's some tiny roads with some medium cities tossed in there. Just before halfway, there's this little tiny town, literally one stoplight. And I don't know who designed this town. I want to have a conversation with them. Because there are railroad tracks that are perpendicular to every single road in the town. And so we got to about that town, and a train was stopped. And the traffic was backed up in a one-stoplight town. And we spent, no joke, it was something like 45 minutes to an hour with kids desperately needing to go to the bathroom, parents desperately needing to go to the bathroom, waiting for this train to move. I mean, I, I can remember getting off of the main road and trying to take some of the neighborhood roads to get around, and there's a train everywhere we tried to go. And so we just had to wait it out. And then we get going, and it's still, I mean, it's pouring down rain to the point you can't see, you know, 50 feet in front of you. So you can't go full speed, or you should not go full speed. Just a heads up. Uh, and uh, we're trying to go, and other things happened, and more bathroom stops. And then, I can remember this moment. We finally stopped at a McDonald's on this side of Houston. My parents live on the other side. And we stopped at McDonald's, and we, we run into the bathroom, maybe got a few snacks, and uh, getting some snacks out of the back. Uh, that we had to, uh, were going to use, and I think we had to, I think we ran out of diapers. We had to get diapers out of the back too because it was so long. And uh, and I looked at the clock, and at this point we were about an hour from my parents' house. We'd been on the road for ten hours with uh, we had four, I think at that time we had four, and hope we had we had all five, all five. <laughs> we were nuts. Uh, obviously, one was a baby. That must have been the year Ethan was born. He was three months old. Yeah. Uh, 10 hours, sitting at that McDonald's, thinking, we are never going to get there. This is how we die. On the other side of Houston, at this McDonald's, and we just lose our minds and just self, just combust internally right here. It's, it's over. And uh, <laughs> the rain parted at that point, and we made it to my parents' house. Obviously, it ended up being 11 hours instead of the anticipated seven, and we thought that was on the high end. Um, but we never thought we were going to get there because we set out thinking it was going to be one thing and then it was something completely different, which was the case of Joseph's life. He started his journey in Genesis chapter 37 with visions from God about greatness, about people bowing down to him. And then it didn't quite turn out like he thought it would. His brothers betrayed him and sold him into slavery. Being sold into slavery... He went down to Egypt, and it was assumed, being sold into slavery, he would be killed as a slave. That was the assumption his brothers made when they sold him, is let's let the new slave drivers kill him and not us. And so he goes down there as a slave to Egypt, and then he's falsely accused of a crime and thrown into prison and forgotten about, sitting in prison, rotting in prison. But then, having been in prison for some time, God raises him up and pulls him out of prison and puts him second in command of all of Egypt, which at the time was the most powerful nation on the planet. So Joseph went from family betrayal to slave to prisoner 
to now second in charge of all of Egypt in the course of quite a few years. And as he's in charge of Egypt, God had given him this phenomenal wisdom and he advised Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh gave him this job of being second in command and uh, uh, gathering in crops because there was a coming famine. And so when the famine finally hit and Joseph was in charge of distributing all the stuff they had collected, uh, the famine hit his family as well, even though he hadn't seen them in decades. And so they came down to Egypt to buy food, assuming now that Joseph had died, that he had been killed. They'd betrayed him and that Joseph had died and been killed. It's been 22 years since Joseph was sold into slavery. He was sold when he was 17. He's 39 now. His brothers walk in. He instantly recognizes them. Because being from the area they were from, they looked pretty much the same. I mean, they looked a little older, maybe a little more gray hair, but they had uh, longer hair. They had beards. Joseph, though, being in, in, in a, uh, uh, an official in Egypt, he would have had his whole head shaved. No beard, no hair. He would have just been completely bald on his head. And so they had no idea who he was. They saw him last time when he was 17. Now he's 39. And if nobody told you, you look different from 39 from when you're 17. But not only that, he's got no hair. So they have no idea this is their brother. But Joseph knows who they are. And he speaks in anger to them because he was betrayed and he's been holding this in for 22 years. And he, he makes some wild accusations about them that in actuality would have resulted in their execution. But instead of executing them, he keeps one of them in jail and sends the rest home and says, if you're telling the truth about who you guys really are, I want you to bring your last brother, who was Joseph's full brother. They had the same mom. None of the other brothers did, but they had the same mom, and Joseph hadn't seen him in 22 years. He was seven when Joseph was sold into slavery. Now he's 29. Joseph said, bring your last brother back, just, to, just so I know you're telling the truth about your story. And then I'll let this other guy out of jail. And so they go back, run out of food, come back to Joseph, bring their last brother, Benjamin, with them. And they show up. Joseph releases the one brother he had in jail, out of jail, has a meal with the guys. Uh, and then he has his assistant hide something that was his in one of the brother's bags. So when they leave, Joseph sends his assistant after them and says, one of you guys stole something. And they said, no, we didn't. May, whoever stole it, may they die. We're absolutely confident none of us have it. So they go through everybody's bag, and finally, the youngest brother, Joseph's 100% blood brother, has the cup, that's what it was, in his bag. So they come back. Joseph's brother Judah, the fourth-born son, stands up and says, let him go. I will die in his place. I will be your slave in his place. D don't, don't take him. Don't take, take me instead. And why that was such a big deal was Joseph knows, because he knows his brothers, and he was there when it happened. It was Judah's idea to sell Joseph into slavery. Judah's idea to get rid of his brother into slavery and let the Egyptians kill him. And now Judah, somewhere along that 22-year span, has had a change of heart, and he's a completely different man. And he stands up and says, I will sacrifice myself for my brother. Whereas before, he wanted his brother sold into slavery. And so at this moment, Joseph hears the words of Judah who, who wants to sacrifice himself for Benjamin. And that's where we get in Genesis chapter 45. Joseph now, having been through this entire journey that did not go the way he thought it would go, we walk into verse 1 of chapter 45, having just heard Judah's declaration. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. 
He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. His brothers are shocked out of their mind right now. They had thought for 22 years that Joseph had been dead. And now this man who had been trying to kill them says, I'm Joseph. Is our father still alive? And his brothers don't say anything. They're frozen. Like, they're just, wait. Joseph? Like, Joseph. Dead Joseph. 22 years ago, dead why don't you turn a little bit? Let me, Joseph, I, I, I don't understand. Joseph. And so they're very confused at this moment, but they're also they're very afraid because they remember how this man spoke to them, how this man kept one of their brothers in prison, how this man wanted to kill them, how this man just a few moments before had threatened to kill Benjamin, throw him into prison and allow him to rot and die. And so now they're, they're trying to figure this out, like how is this possible? But if this is really Joseph, what is he going to do to us? This man has all the power of Egypt at his disposal. What is he going to do to us now that he, he has us under his thumb? He can do whatever he wants here. What is going to happen? Look at verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery, or who you, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Now, I read those two verses, and my thought is, if Joseph is trying to calm them down about their betrayal, why does he mention it twice in those two verses? I am Joseph, who you sold into slavery. Don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. God had a purpose in it. God sent me here to do something. But Joseph brings it up twice there. That probably caused quite a bit of anxiety in there. But he's quick to tell them. He's quick to tell them how God used his seemingly unfair circumstances to bring about great salvation to not just them, but to thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. You see, humanly speaking, Joseph had been betrayed. It was great betrayal in his past. But God still had a plan for his future. And Joseph is confessing to his brothers that he now sees God's movement throughout his life and throughout all those difficulties, the betrayal, the, the slavery, the false accusation, the being left to rot in prison. He's saying, I see God's hand in all of it. I see God working there. I see God's movement throughout my life. The things that he quite possibly resented, God was working through to bring him to this moment. You see, a lot of times, if we spend too much time looking at our past, at things we resent, at problems that came up, they may have been problems we caused ourselves, or they may have been things like Joseph that other people did to us, and if we spend so much time looking at that stuff, looking at what's behind us, we won't see the God's hope-filled future that he has designed for us. 
If all we're seeing is the stuff that makes us angry and makes us offended and makes bitterness well up within us, we're not seeing what God has set right in front of us. So we need to look to God's future, not your past. We have to look to God's future and not dwell on what was. You see, because what the enemy does is he will bring up things of your past to try to distract you from what's coming up. He will bring up mistakes you made. He will bring up sins that somebody else did against you in order to get you focused on that thing and not seeing what God's about to do in front of you. You see, if Joseph, when he was sold into slavery, if all he did when he was a slave was focus on the betrayal of his brothers, he would not have been used of by God to accomplish much in Potiphar's house. And if he had not accomplished much in Potiphar's house, he would not have been elevated in Potiphar's house. And if he had not been elevated in Potiphar's house, he wouldn't have been noticed by Potiphar's wife. And if he hadn't been noticed by Potiphar's wife, he wouldn't have been thrown in prison. And if he wasn't thrown in prison, he wouldn't have met the, the baker and, and the, the uh, I'm blanking on the other dude, the cupbearer. And if he hadn't been noticed by those guys, he would not have been pulled out of prison and elevated to the second in command of all of Egypt. He could not focus on the betrayal. He had to focus on God's hand in his life. He had to focus on what God had for him next. He could not undo what had already been done. He could not undo it. We see that he still dwelled on it. He still kept it in. He just suppressed it. But if he had forgiven them then, they would not have gone through chapters and chapters of mess-ups and and frustrations and fear and anger. We would have got to chapter 45 a lot quicker. (laughs) You see, we've got to look at what God has for us next. If you're too busy looking behind you, you won't see what God's placed in front of you. Let me show you like this. You see, if you're walking along in your life and you're, you're going where God's got you going, right? And you don't know God's about to put something in front of you that's going to elevate you up. But if all you're doing when you're walking that direction is looking at where you came from and looking at that area where somebody messed you up and somebody offended you and somebody made you angry and that's just welling up within you and you can't believe they said that thing and then somebody completely different says something that reminds you about that situation and all you do is think about that situation and you're just looking that way that when you finally get to the thing God's placed in front of you to bring you to a new level, it's just going to trip you up and mess you up and you're going to fall down and not get to go where God wants you to go. Because all you're doing is seeing what was and not seeing where God's got you going. But if you turn around, that doesn't mean it didn't happen to you. It did. It helped shape you to who you are today. But what you can't do is allow that thing to shape you. You have to allow God's hand through it to shape you. Because if we just allow our circumstances to shape us, we're going to end up being 80-year-old bitter people. Completely missing what God has for us. Completely missing. You know, when Moses was 80 years old, you know what he was doing? Wallowing in fear in the desert. He had been hiding for 40 years because he was afraid. He had no idea God was about to do something through him. And then when God came to him and said, I've got something for you to do and it's so fantastic, what did Moses do? He argued with God. I mean, it's just... If God showed up on your way home in the form of a burning bush and you had a physical conversation with him, are you going to say, yeah, I'm not going to do that? And you you had never heard God's voice before in your life. And then you know it's God speaking. God says, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. 
You take your shoes off, you bow down, you're like, this is God. And then he says, yeah, I want you to go and free the hundreds of thousands, the million Israelites who are in slavery. Yeah, I'm not doing that, God. Mm-mm. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going back there. No. You know what happened there? I am not going back to what was. Uh-uh. And God, God had great patience and walked him through all of his excuses. And then finally it says God was mad at him. He said, no, you're doing it. You don't even have to say anything. I send in your brother. He'll talk for you, you coward. He didn't say that. That's a Josh interpretation. That's what I would have said. But Moses finally went and did, and he saw the greatness of God. But he was so focused on what was, he almost missed his opportunity. And for Moses, it wasn't what somebody did to him. Moses killed a guy. Murdered him in cold blood and buried him. And he was the most wanted man in Egypt. Pharaoh put a hit out on him, and that's why he ran. And he hid for 40 years. But he spent 40 years thinking about that moment. And he was 80 years old, ready to be done, ready to retire, having been a shepherd. But God said, No, I got 40 more good years in you. You're not done yet. He had to surrender what was in order to see what will be. He had to surrender what was in order to see what will be. He had to see God's hope-filled future instead of his messed-up past. And for him, for Moses, it was stuff he had messed up. For Joseph, it was stuff other people had messed up in his life. And what he had to do walking through that journey is he had to focus on what God had next. Look at verse 6. This is Joseph still talking to his brothers. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And so Joseph begins to describe to his brothers what he now sees in hindsight. God's hand working through all the mess. God's hand working through all the difficulties. He's describing to the very ones who betrayed him how God's been working, how God's been moving, how God's been doing so much in his Life, You see, because God's plans are so much bigger and so much wider than my own interpretation of them. Let that sink in for a second. I, I really had to focus on that to understand it when God gave that to me earlier in the week, or several weeks ago. God's plans are so much bigger and so much wider than my own interpretation of life circumstances. I can only see what I can see. That's why, that's why they say hindsight is twenty twenty because we're able to see a lot more in perspective than in the moment we're going through it. Joseph said God was working through all the difficulties. God was working through all the problems, and God had so much right next to for the next step. I just had to have faith in the next step and walk in that next step. And he was focused on God in the betrayal, focused on God in the slavery, focused on God when he was in prison. He had his attention fixed on God. And that's what ends up happening is, is our perspective changes with our attention. 
Wherever we put our attention, that changes our perspective about our situation, about our circumstance, about whatever's going on in the world. Our attention changes our perspective. If I fix my attention on Jesus, my, my, my perspective of my situation changes. Changes completely. If I simply put my attention on the circumstance, then all I'm going to see is how bad everything is. All I'm going to see is the frustration and the irritation and the thing the person said and how that offended me and how that I am wronged and it's going to, the anger will become bitterness and the bitterness will well up and it will poison our very soul. But if we put our attention on Jesus, then the bitterness has no place to go in us. It can't. It can't. If we put our, and I was talking to somebody this week, it's like how Jesus' own disciples were vastly different people. Very different. About as different as you can be. You know, I mean, they had guys in there, I mean, obviously, a guy like Judas, and Jesus knew who he was going to become before Jesus called him as a disciple. But then you've got a guy, Matthew, who's a tax collector, and a guy, Simon the Zealot, who wanted to overthrow the government that Matthew worked for. And Jesus calls both of them vastly different political opinions. That only existed then. They don't have that kind of political climate anymore. That's just back then. But these vastly different political opinions, guys who just wanted to tear each other apart, and Jesus calls both of them to be disciples. How can those two guys function for several years under the ministry of Jesus, working together? How can they do it? Because their attention was on Jesus. If we put our attention on Jesus, it changes our entire perspective about everything. We've got to put our attention on the Lord, and that's what Joseph did in all the mess he was going through. He had his attention on the Lord, and that changed his perspective. Look at verse 9. So this is what Joseph says again. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. This is a phenomenal moment. <laughs> you know, the, where God had brought Joseph was incredible. Undoubtedly, when Joseph received the vision from God that people were going to bow down to him someday, it would be my, if I were Joseph, I would be thinking, okay, God's going to take me from where I am right now and immediately pick me up and drop me where he's going to take me. I mean, it's just going to be boom. I'm going to go from being favored son to ruler over everything. And that was probably Joseph's anticipation. But God had a different plan. God had something else in mind. Because God is resourceful and creative, and he has everything at his disposal to accomplish what's best for us and his glory. And, and what we have to understand that is often difficult to understand is that the journey and the means to accomplish God's plan, they're never what we expect, but they are always what is necessary. And so God brought Joseph 
from where he was to this point. And Joseph gave God all his attention and, and, and uh, changed his perspective. And now he's in front of his brothers, his brothers who had mocked and dreaded the, the visions, the dreams Joseph had had. But God used what they didn't understand to rescue their, themselves and their families. God used what they didn't understand in Joseph's dreams from when he was 17 to accomplish something that was far beyond what they ever thought possible. And Joseph speaks to this a couple chapters later in Genesis chapter 50, uh, down to verse 19. The same fear is welled up within them that Joseph is going to strike back at them again. And Joseph responds with these words. Uh, Genesis 50, verse 19. Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. God was going to use what occurred to bring about something great. Paul spoke about this in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Y'all ever heard that verse? Anybody ever heard that verse? All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose and who love God. And now you might be in the middle of a situation at some point in your life and you might, that verse might flash through your mind or you might have somebody say that to you. Just remember, all things work together for good. Just a heads up, if something bad happens to somebody, don't throw that verse in their face. <laughs> Just remember, all things work together for good. They do, but that's probably not the time. That's not the most, <laughs> they just want your presence, you know? I mean, it's, Job and his friends, they just be, be there for them in the moment. But all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And you might be in that moment, whatever the situation, and you might say, well, I don't see it. I don't see how this is going to work together for good. I don't see it. I, I, I just don't. I mean, this, this is happening. This person did this thing, or I did this thing, and this has occurred, and now we're here, and I don't see how this can work together for good. Joseph may have had those same thoughts, possibly, when he was betrayed and being walked with his hands behind him through the desert to go be sold as a slave in Egypt. Well, the thing is, though, it's not your job to see it. When God says all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, it's not my job to see how it's going to work together for good. That's not my job. It wasn't Joseph's job. We mentioned Job. It wasn't Job's job. It's not my job to see how God is going to do it. It's my job to have faith that God does see it. It's my job to have faith that God knows what he's doing and he will guide me through it. That's my job. My job isn't to be all-knowing. My job is to follow the Lord. My job isn't to know how many steps it's going to take to get me from here to where he wants me to go. My job is just to, to follow him in the next step. Even when the journey itself feels like a never-ending detour right off a cliff, I've still got to trust him. 
Because I, I, I need to know that God is never lost. He is the always accurate guide. God doesn't get lost. He knows exactly where you are. He knows how many steps it takes to get from where you are to where he wants you to go. And he's going to get you there if you'd simply follow him and listen to him, even if it means going down a detour or what you think is a detour that is not what you anticipated. And it's hard and it's difficult. It's difficult because we're human. It's difficult because everybody we deal with are people. It's difficult because we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world. It's difficult because we're not in heaven yet. But if we follow Jesus, the one who knows where we're going, he will get us there. But we have to also remember one of the lessons of Joseph's life. What feels like a detour is not the destination. What feels like a detour, it feels like we're on a detour. It feels like this is not how it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to go this way. We've got to remember that's only because we haven't made it to the destination yet. We're not there yet. We haven't arrived yet. We're still in process. We're still walking there. For Joseph, it was a 22-year journey to get there. It may have felt like a detour, being told by God, you're going to rule over a lot of people, and they're going to bow down to you, even your own family, and then go from that to betrayal, to slavery, to prison. But God was still working. God was still moving. God was in the midst of it. You see, we may feel like we're not at the destination yet, because we're not. We may feel like we're on a detour away from where we're supposed to be. But God's not done with us yet. God's still working. God's still at work. He still has something to accomplish. Because if you haven't arrived at your destination yet, heaven, God's still working. God's still working on me to make me who he wants me to be. God's still got something to accomplish. And so what is my job then is to either faithfully take the next step or stand firm in the last step until he gives me the next step. I have to either step out on faith in what he has for me next or if he hasn't given me the next step yet, i got to keep processing and, and keep moving through what he told me last. And not try to jump the gun, not try to, to, try to anticipate what the next step's going to be. Just don't take the next step until he tells me to take the next step. We're so quick to trust our phone and the, the map apps on our phone, but when it comes to trusting the almighty creator of the universe, we, we try to take the next step before he says take it. And so, but the second he says, take the next step, we got to take it. Even if it's scary, even if we don't know how he's going to accomplish everything, how we're going to get paid if we take this step. If we don't know how God's going to weave all this stuff together, that's not my job to know that. It's my job to trust him in what the next step is. It's my job to go and do what he's got for the next step. The next step is, is crazy. You may think it. You may be Indiana Jones taking a step out on the last crusade, you know, the, the leap of faith. You might know what I'm talking about, Indiana Jones. I'm the only one who watches Indiana Jones. Okay, thank you. Okay. And so he's taking that step. Yeah, preacher watches PG-13 movie. Taking a step out there on that next step. He can't see it. He doesn't know it's there, but he knows he's got to take it. That's why it's called a leap of faith. You got to take the step to see what God has for you. If it's, the, if it's the step he told you to take, it's going to be there when you step. Every time, every single time, you may have no idea how he's going to do it. It's not my job to know how he's going to do it. It's just my job to step and know he's going to do it. 
know he's going to do it. Either faithfully take the next step or stand firm in the last step. Lynette, you remember that leadership meeting we had a couple years ago. Our ice machine was busted. We didn't have an ice machine. You say, that's not a big deal. Ice machines are expensive. And God has been financially incredibly gracious to our, to our church over the last couple years, over the entire you know, lifetime of the church. But we've, we've got more money in the bank right now than we've had in some time. But at the time, we did not. We, we did not have enough money to pay for an ice machine and the electric bill. We did not have enough money for that. And uh, well, we, I remember having that leadership meeting and we're like, we, we, you know, we don't have any ice. And we use the ice for all the ministries that we do. I mean, when we, we feed people at the time, feed people on Wednesday nights. How are we going to feed? We, they need ice for their, you know, their drinks. And we can go buy ice, but that ends up being more expensive in the long run. We can go and do this. or you know, But what are we going to do? And Lynette spoke up in that meeting and says, stop. Are we going to trust God or not? Does God want us to do something and minister to people or not? Nobody was going to speak against that. <laughs> we said, absolutely. And so Lynette said, we need to step out on faith and buy that ice machine. So I remember I looked at Micah and he looked at me and I said, so we're buying an ice machine. <laughs> so uh, the next day, man alive, we called the ice machine place. If you didn't know, there is a place that sells ice machines, the ice machine store, uh, ice machine Walmart, I don't know. And so Micah called that place the next day and same day, like a couple hours later, guy comes in the office and says, I don't know if y'all need any money, but God told me to give you this amount. I know it's kind of weird. It's, it's not like a rounded off number, uh, but this is the number God told me to give you. And he, he, he wrote the check there on the desk and handed it, kid you not, to the dollar, the exact amount of the ice machine. Exact amount. And he... <laughs> We didn't talk for like 10 minutes. Like, why did we doubt God was going to do this? God always delivers. If you take the step, it's going to be there every single time. Every single time. It's going to be there. God will deliver. He is faithful and just. He will take care of it. And so that's why we've got to take the next step of faith or stand firm in the last step until he tells you to take the next step. It's like if we are, if we're following the Maps app on our phone and it's telling us you stay on this road for the next 200 miles, but we decide we get 50 miles into the process and we're getting tired of driving on this road. And we just went, I'm tired of it. I'm just gonna take a right turn right here. And we turn, where do we end up? In a cow field, way far away from where God wants you to be. Or you end up in a small town in the middle of nowhere, Texas, waiting on a train. And you try to go around, you try to drive through this neighborhood, and everybody in that neighborhood is thinking, what is this weird car doing in my neighborhood? Because we got seven people in our family, and so we have to have this little thing on the back of the car with a bag on it to fit all our stuff, because there's no room in the car for luggage, because it's all full of people. And so they're thinking, what's this weird car doing in our neighborhood with that thing on the back? Because we're trying to go around the, way, the place God wanted us to sit for 45 minutes. Who knows what would have been down the road if we would have gotten through. God just wanted us to wait. We don't want to wait. Sometimes God wants you to sit still. And when he wants you to sit still, you sit still until he says move. Otherwise, you're going to mess everything up. Just ask Abraham. 
God said, wait. Abraham didn't wait. He ended up with Ishmael. And that's why we have a problem in the Middle East today, because of that one man's decision not to wait. And his wife. So when God says move, you move. When God doesn't says move, when God doesn't say move, that means you stay until he says move. It doesn't mean try to guess and try to jump and try to wait. No, you stay put until he says move. You keep doing what he already told you to do until he tells you something new to do. Keep going where he's got you going until he tells you something new. I don't want to end up way far away from where he originally intended me to end up because I try to jump the gun on what he's got for me next. I get antsy waiting. And we just saw the Olympics a few weeks ago. In the Olympics, if the runner starts to run before the gun goes off, they're disqualified. We saw, I remember we saw that happen in one of the races. The guy trains for years for the Olympics. One split-second mistake, and he's out. He's out because he jumped the gun. And he had, it was, it was terrible, y'all. I mean, he had to get up and walk out while the other runners got set to run their race. He wasn't even to the tunnel yet when the race started. Can't you imagine the devastation in his heart as he's walking out, having missed it because he tried to jump the gun? We can't jump the gun on God. We've got to stand firm where we are until he tells us to move. And so that's the question I've got for you today. What is the step of faith God has for you? Where is God telling you to go? What is God telling you to do that you've been resisting and standing back? Maybe the step of faith that God has for you today is to believe in Jesus. Maybe you need to believe in Jesus today. Believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. Maybe that's your step of faith today. You need to believe. Maybe your step of faith is baptism. We saw those three get baptized earlier. Baptism shows the world you belong to Jesus. Baptism represents what happens within you when you believe. You go under the water, that represents dying to sin. You come out of the water, that represents getting a brand new life in Jesus. It shows the world you're his. And if you want to get baptized, in just a minute what's going to happen is I'm going to pray for us. I say amen. And if you want to believe in Jesus, you come down front. If you want to get baptized, you come down front. You want to join the church, you come down front. If you have any decision whatsoever you want to make for the Lord, you come down here. We've got decision cards on all the corners of all these front people. They're gone on that one. They were on that one. Maybe a bunch of people made decisions. They're already turned to me. We got decision cards here and here and here. And, and, and you can make a decision for the Lord today. Again, you want to get baptized, there's still water there. And I can still hear the heater. So it's still warm, hot. So we got T-shirts back there. No matter what size you are, we got T-shirts for all sizes back there. You want to get baptized today, it can happen right here, right now. You don't got to wait. You say, well, I need so-and-so to be here. We're videoing the deal right now. I will put the video together for you to show whoever you want to show. We got the video. I hope it's recording. I haven't gotten a text to say it's not recording. So we, we do have the video. So we've got that. You can text them right now. We're live streaming. They can watch it live. You want to get baptized today, you can do it today. You don't got to wait. It's worth it, Tori, right? Yes. You can do it today. Join the church today. You need to come and pray for somebody. Maybe, you know what you need to do? Maybe a step of faith. God's put a name on your heart of somebody who needs to be at Nights of Hope next week. You need to come put their name on this pew. We got these sticky notes down here and pencils down here. You can write their name and stick it on this pew. People we're praying for to come to this deal, Nights of Hope, to hear about Jesus. 
And your step of faith is to invite that person to Knights of Hope. You say, well, you don't even know the problems between me and so-and-so. I mean, it's, it's, last time I talked to this person, they said so many words that you just, you, you, I'm not going to repeat in church. Just, you can't say these words. And, and they were mad at me and said all this. It doesn't matter. If God put them on your heart, your step of faith is to invite them to this deal. Because you don't know the groundwork God's already been working in that person's heart. You don't know. Because if God told you to do it, take the step of faith. Believe in Jesus. Be baptized. Join the church. Make another decision for the Lord. Uh, serve the Lord. Come uh, uh, put a name down here that he wants you to put down here and invite that person to Nights of Hope. Come and serve a night. Be a decision counselor. You say, I don't know enough about you know, stuff to tell people about making a decision for the Lord. Well, if you know enough to be saved, you do know enough to tell somebody. And we're going to talk about that Wednesday night. What's the decision God has you to make? What's the step of faith God has you to make? Maybe the step of faith is you need to be still and sit still in where you're at instead of trying to run. Maybe that's your step of faith for the moment. What's the step of faith God has for you? Right now, it's time for all of us to make a step of faith, whether it's to step out in faith or to stay put in faith. Whatever it is, he's got something for all of us. What is it? Y'all pray with me as we make decisions. God, I thank you for your faithfulness and your patience with us. I thank you, God, that you are faithful, full of faith, entrusting in us to be your servants, to go and do for you. God, I pray we would. I pray we would step out on faith for you into whatever the situation is. Believing in you, being baptized, joining the church, serving you for the rest of our lives. It's inviting somebody to Nights of Hope. Or something I haven't even thought of yet. God, I pray that everyone in the room, everyone watching online, somebody watching this later on, listening to the podcast. That we would know what it is you have for us. And we would step in faith. Step out in faith or stand firm in faith. But be prepared for whatever you have for us. Help us to be faithful just as you are. To follow you in faith. Stepping out, standing firm. God, I pray we would. We would be who you desire us to be and make that decision here and now to follow you in everything. God, I thank you. In your name I pray, amen.